Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Aberrant Report is a horror podcast, and as such, trigger warnings will be in the description. Thank you. that red light blinking oh oh it's on perfect i'll have to see how the sound is when i get home junie kind of gave me the idea to use this i definitely got a newer model than she has though i got this thing from Soundshed. i don't know i figured it could help me keep track of things oh boss is calling i'll be right back so you want me to digitize them tomorrow? Is Robbie not there for you? You want me to paint them? We can't move the bookshelves for this. We'd have to close the library. Oh. Yeah, we could convert some of the old offices. And you want to display some of the archival books there? Yeah, that's going to be really fun. Good way to announce the new digital archive. Give me one second. I think I heard something. Oh, oh, no. Gross. Okay, okay. It's just a bug. And it's dead. What even was that? Gross, gross. Ugh, yeah, okay, that's smushed. Weird. Must not have turned this off. Two days later. Her remains were found underneath the porch. The only suspect left to consider? Her mother. I don't know what you think you have on me, but I didn't kill it. Next time on Die on the Wall, we interview Dylan Clamley, the victim's six-year-old brother, about his and his sister's alleged abuse at the hands of their mother. Six years old? I swear, they've lost all the integrity they had in season one. 25,000 people are murdered each year in the U.S., how do we let this happen? And what is the fallout? For the police, the victim's families, and the accused. Wouldn't you want to be a die on the wall? But I guess one more wouldn't hurt. Okay, I definitely heard something. I swear I turned this off. So, work was interesting, let's say. It started early this morning. Xander and I started decorating an empty office with sigils from this super old archival document. It's for a little display to announce the release of Robbie's digital archive. I'm really excited for him. He's been working hard on this for the past few weeks. I did kind of fall, though. I'm not used to ladders or painting. It spilled everywhere, but at least I didn't get hurt. So that's good? And then I got a call from Junie, Robbie's friend. The one with the tape recorder I told you about yesterday. I gave her my number in case she needed any more help with the vampire research. Apparently she got into an altercation last night. 
She was pushed out a window. She asked me for a ride. I said, of course. I did ask Robbie why he's not driving her, but he ignored me. So yeah, I pick her up. Why not? Honestly, I'd love to get to know her more, but she's a little prickly. I don't know if it's something I did or... You know what? Doesn't matter. I drive her to the library, and she talks to Robbie, so that's good. But then she leaves with this couple. Something felt wrong in my gut. After a few minutes trying to quell the feeling, I figured it's better to be safe than sorry. I followed outside and then went around to the parking lot where I saw them pointing a gun at Junie. Thankfully, I had my own at my side. Technically, I'm not really supposed to carry on the clock, but Xander never seems to notice or care. The couple left, and I asked Junie what that was all about. She said she was investigating the death of this cop, and she was uncovering stuff that a lot of people didn't want her to know. Some kind of conspiracy, she explained, and those two thought Junie was a part of it. She's not, she promised me. I was worried she wasn't safe with those two roaming free, but I also need her to not call the cops. They probably won't do anything to protect her anyways. I've listened to enough true crime podcasts to know that. Thankfully, she beat me to the punch. She told me she didn't trust the cops, especially in this town. She explained a bit more about the cops' death, and from her story, it did seem like the police were either incompetent or something worse. Maybe a cover-up. It wouldn't be the first time. She assured me she would be safe. For some reason, the way she said it, I believed it. I just worry those two aren't dumb. I wish we could get rid of them. Legally, without calling the police. Did you hear that? Is someone there? This is why I need a dog, Dad. Maybe I could... No, no, I'm hiding enough from him. Don't need to add a dog to the mix. Robbie told me to read this for his archive project. He wanted an audio presentation of a few specially picked documents. So here it goes, I guess. First, some details. Mansour Shabib wrote this letter to Detective Craig Petra in December of 2016. It reached the library archives in February 2017. It is now being digitally recorded on February 2020 for Robbie Newman's digital archive. It begins as follows. Dear Detective Petra, I am a patient at the Eleanor Priest Psychiatric Ward. My new friend Ash Wood gave me your name in your P.O. box. According to them, you deal with this kind of thing all of the time. They're a sweet fellow, but they got my name wrong. Everyone has been doing that this month. I know, I know, I'm in an asylum. I must be crazy or something. Ash insisted I write to you, though, about what happened. Ash is the kindest person I've met here. When I first got in, I refused to eat the bologna sandwiches I was given. I refused to eat anything, but the nurses insisted. Instead, I slipped the food to Ash. While the nurses used that wrong name everyone was calling me, Ash seemed to know how distressed it made me. They asked me what my real name was, so I introduced myself. I'm Mansour Shabib, I said. They nodded and told me they were called Ash Wood. Like the tree, I asked. They said they did it on purpose. I asked what they meant, and they said they named themselves. I asked why, and they said they didn't think their old name fit. I said that was fair. They were an interesting-looking person, kind of androgynous, and the name didn't help. I asked them if they were a man or a woman, but they left. I didn't get the joke. 
I really thought I was losing it, or they were losing it, or maybe it was a combination of both, but then they told me they were neither. That's the point, they said. They were neither. I didn't get that much either, but they said they used they and them and theirs and themselves and such, and I'm using that here. Ash asked me why I didn't want my food, and I told them. I told them everything. They comforted me. They told me they believed me. And then they told me they knew a guy who could help. That's you. Let's start from the beginning. I need to give you some context. I'm a true crime podcaster. One of the hosts of the show Die on the Wall, actually. You may have heard of us. We were on the charts right below Serial for a couple of weeks this year. We discussed historic serial killers, both local and abroad. I know the title is a little silly for our subject matter, but my partner insisted on the name. Since we're based in Macon, Georgia, we did our fourth episode on Annette Lyles, one of the most notorious serial killers in the town. She was a friendly woman, loved for her demeanor and her cooking. She ran a restaurant named after herself. As the story goes, her family kept getting sick one by one. A mysterious illness no doctor could figure out. Eventually, one would die and another would get sick. Did you know there was a point in time where arsenic was extremely hard to detect? And the symptoms mimicked so many other illnesses. Did you know that arsenic tastes mildly of almonds? Spoilers for a 50-year-old murder case, but I'm sure you figured it out by now. She was feeding them arsenic-based rat poison. Funny thing about rat poison, it can kill humans too. They caught her in time to save her second daughter, who was already showing the same illness as her late sister. The police raided her home and found voodoo memorabilia all around the house. Side note, never trust a white woman who does voodoo. From the little I know about the religion, she was doing everything wrong. The media gobbled that crap up, though. I mean, what do you expect? There were people that couldn't believe a mother, a white mother, would do a thing to her own partners. But, especially to her children. People even testified to her character. But with all the overwhelming evidence, she was sentenced to death. She wasn't executed, though. You couldn't execute a white woman in the 50s. If you ever get the chance, read Whisper to the Black Candle. It goes into a lot more detail than our 25-minute podcast episode ever could. Now, you might be wondering why I'm writing to you about a 50-something-year-old murderer. You see, that episode is where we got our first one-star review. Not our first one-star rating, mind you. We got a lot of those. I mean, our first written-out one-star review. I was staying here in Abbotsville with my parents over Thanksgiving at the time. It might be my favorite holiday. I love food. Grandpa brings these raw koopy balls. Aunt Marie brings the deviled eggs. Both are gone before dinner even starts. Lots of the food this year contained tree nuts, which I'm allergic to. Meaning I had to stick with the overcooked mac and cheese casserole Aunt Fanny brought. A few slices of turkey and mashed potatoes. Not the worst meal, but not what I was hoping for. I was picking at the burnt cheddar crust of the casserole when my phone buzzed. I checked and saw the review pop up on my screen. I have the app PodRev set up to send me alerts. For a second, I was really excited, but then I saw the star, the one star. My mom started nagging me for being on my phone at dinner, so I put it away without reading it. Later, in the quiet of my old teenage bedroom, I checked PodRev. The review was left by someone named Taro58, specifically on the Annette episode. You can do that on PodRev, review specific episodes, but all this comment said was no. I was a little frustrated. Leaving a one-star review, sure, that's fine, but no? You take the time to write something out and all you say is no? I wrote back. 
I know that's kind of rude. You're supposed to let them have their say and all, but I wasn't thinking. So I asked, what do you mean no? If you're gonna leave a one-star review, at least give me a good reason. I spent a lot of time on these episodes. I closed the app and put on a YouTube video as a distraction, but I kept going back to check if they responded. 15 minutes later, they did. All it said was, reason, colon, you were wrong. Wrong about what? I replied, and waited. For a solid minute, I was staring, hoping they'd respond again. Then I realized I was being a bit too obsessive. It wasn't even that cruel of a review. I've always taken criticism poorly, and I needed to take a break to clear my head. I went out to get a glass of water. Mom kept a pitcher with a filter in the refrigerator, so I used that. I filled it up again, too, like a good son. But when I drank it, it tasted bitter. Figuring something was wrong with the filter, I risked the tap. Georgia water isn't my favorite, but again, it was that same bitter flavor. It was pretty late at this point, and I didn't want to wake up my mom, so I grabbed a soda and headed back to my room. Of course, I couldn't help but check the comments. They hadn't responded to me. So I finished the soda and figured I'd forget about it in the morning. Then, my phone buzzed. It was another one-star review. This was on the Bella Abbott episode. Yes, that Bella Abbott. Daughter of John Abbott, the founder of this godforsaken town. I'm sure you know the story, but I'll sum it up anyways. One summer in 1778, young men around the town started dropping. Their bodies were found in alleys and ditches with their eyes poked out and their mouths sewn shut. A couple of them had their vocal cords ripped out and tied around their neck. They were all relatively young, each around 16 to 27, and had some form of wealth and status. No other connection made at the time. Decades later, a woman by the name of Anna Hitch found a diary in her mother's attic. It belonged to her great-grandmother, a servant of the Abbott family named Barbara. Barbara was a smart woman, but loyal to her favorite Abbott, little Bella, who was 14 in 1778. It turns out, every single man who died that summer had attempted to court the young girl. That was not uncommon. Most men in town had done the same. What's special about these men is that when her father turned them away, when her mother, Helena, turned them away, when Bella herself turned them away, they kept asking. By the end of the summer, that practice stopped. The second one-star review was left on that episode. The username was different, but the comment was the same. At Helena78 said, No. Just no. I figured they must have made a new account just to harass me, so again, I asked, What's wrong with this episode? I didn't wait for them to respond this time. I set my phone down and fell asleep. I didn't dream that night. That morning, I had breakfast with my mother. She makes these potato pancakes. Mom had set a glass of water with my breakfast, and after scarfing down too much starch at once, I needed it. But as I took a sip, I was hit with that bitter taste again. I asked my mom if she could try it. I swore there was something off about it. She laughed, telling me I got too used to bottled water. But then when she tried it, her face changed. She spit it out in the sink and rushed out of the room. I followed, only to find her rifling through my bag. I asked what she was doing, but she just mumbled some curse words. Finally, she got out my EpiPen and reached for my leg. I jerked away and again asked her what she was doing. Almonds, she said, pointing at me with the pen. What? I asked, still not understanding what she meant. The water. It tastes like almonds. My breath froze for a second. My mind raced through everything that happened that morning. I'll use the pen if I need it, I told her, but I don't think I'm having an allergic reaction right now. But how about this? I'll keep it on me, just in case. When I held my hand out for the pen, she reluctantly handed it to me. With what she said next, I really thought I was hearing things. 
Okay, John. It took me a moment for my brain to process what she called me. The first thing I could think to say was, Who? And it got really confusing from there. We went back and forth. Mom said, Who what? I said, Who's John? She said, Who mentioned John? I said, You did, Mom. She said, No, what? That's not verbatim, but what we actually said was hard to follow, let alone remember. Eventually, I chalked it up to hearing things. This month, so many of my friends had called me John, only to forget they ever said it. My name is Mansoor. I love my name. I was named after my great-grandpa, the one with the amazing food. The name means victory, though I don't know how accurate those baby name sites are. It felt like a mockery to be called John of all names. Might as well be an unidentified cadaver with a name like John. I haven't been able to drink water, either. I haven't been able to drink anything. The flavor has spread to sodas and teas, spread to my food. Dessert doesn't taste too bad with that twidge of bitter almond, but I worry every time I take a bite. I've gotten sicker and sicker too, and it reminds me of Agnette's kids. I've tried to go to the doctor, but all tests come back negative. I even got tested for arsenic. I was clean. Even with the stellar test results, I was constantly fatigued. I got this massive headache every other day. I was sweatier and always a bit nauseous. It was horrible. This has been affecting my life, my food, even my religion. I'm Catholic. There are a surprising number of us, even in this Protestant-heavy Bible Belt town. But I've stopped taking communion. The flavor has contaminated the wine and the bread. My whole family goes to late-night Christmas Eve Mass. So a few days ago, I forced myself to take the sacrament so my family wouldn't argue about me staying back in the pews. The bread was a bit bitter, as I expected, but as I turned towards the chalice containing the wine, the blood of my Lord, a bout of vertigo made me dizzy. I was able to make it over to the man holding the cup and took it, tilting the chalice until the liquid barely touched my lips. I didn't sip. I walked back down the outer aisle to my seat, satisfied with my performance, but before I got to the pews, darkness started to blot my vision. I rested a hand on the pillar in my row, trying to stabilize myself. But I collapsed. I woke up in the ER. They couldn't find anything wrong with me. Once I was fully conscious again, I was handed some medical documents to look over and sign. But my name was already printed. Actually, it wasn't my name. It said John. John Abbott. I tried to explain what happened to this nurse. Adriana Holden, she didn't seem to believe my story. That's when I met Ash. I know they said you helped, but I really don't know how. Maybe you could check on those users on Podrev? I don't know how they could be poisoning me, but that's probably why I'm having these issues, right? Maybe that's what Ash thinks. I really think I'm just not all here right now, mentally. I've been here since Christmas, and I'm getting sicker. Not eating is making me sicker. Eating is making me sicker. All I want to do is go home. Anyway, it's almost the new year. I don't know if you celebrate Christmas, but if you do, I hope yours was a lot better than mine. And happy early New Year's. Maybe I'll be out of here by January. Sincerely, Mansoor Shabib. It's worth noting that the name John Abbott is the first one that appears below the word sincerely, but it is crossed out.
It's also worth noting that Mr. Shabib is wrong about arsenic. It is mostly flavorless. Cyanide tastes like almonds. I will say, I can see why Robbie chose this document for me to read. I've told him I listened to Die on a Wall, and season two hasn't really been the same without Mansoor. They started investigating ongoing cases, and it was painfully disrespectful to the victims. It's hard to stop listening, though. It scratches that itch. I had been wondering why Mansoor left the show. Apparently, the rumors are true, and he did have a mental break. Poor guy. Oh, God, I'm rambling. Robbie can help me cut the tape. End recording. Work as soon as possible. No, I don't need the day off, Sander. I've worked through worse pain before. Look, I'm coming in as soon as my knees are better. You can't stop me. You're really bad at bluffing. Xander, you're not firing me over this. I'm coming in. Give me a few minutes. Ugh, what? Okay, I swear I heard it clicking on this time. Junie's in the hospital? Again? I'll come as soon as I can. Robbie, you can't stop me. I'm swinging by. <sighs> that fucker is gonna get my love and support whether he likes it or not. Fucker's ah! a bad word. Oh, God. Oh, I'm seeing things. Nope. No. No. Sorry. I, I didn't mean Breathe. to. Breathe. No, no. I, I can't do this again. Did I do something wrong? Please, Polly. Not now. Who's Polly? You're not... No, I, I'm not. She's... She was my sister. I'm stressed. That's probably it. I'm stressed and I'm seeing things. Again, hearing things too. Actually, I'm supposed to get to the hospital, but I can't. Can I... Can I help somehow? You can help by going away. I don't really know where I am. Pull up a chair, kid. I guess if you're gonna be here, you might as well. Um... You know, you, you kind of look like Miss Frizzle. I get that a lot. I kind of respond to it at this point. <sighs> I've been pretty stressed lately, too. I've been talking to Hermes. It's really helped me calm down. Who's Hermes? The god? My pet beetle. Yeah, get that away from me. Sorry. I thought it would help. I really like beetles. I'll put them away. <sighs> I usually listen to crime podcasts to calm down. I've noticed. You've been putting on a lot this week. I've been enjoying them. Maybe we can listen to one together? Hermes helps me through the scary parts, but maybe I can just hold him in my pocket. Why Hermes? You... Read the Peter Johnson books or something? No, he's a hermit flower. Is that a type of beetle? It sure is, Miss Frizzle. My name's Sarah Yusuf, actually. Just call me Sarah. What's yours? I'm Rosie. Rosie Petra. This episode was written, directed, and produced by Phoebe Mansour. Claude Shabib plays Sarah Yusuf. Phoebe Mansour plays all other characters. Our podcast has moved to a bi-weekly schedule. Because of this, the next episode will be the Tuesday after next. Check out our website in the description for more information and have a wonderful day. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.